Hello and welcome back to Tells. My name is Boosie and today I am joined by a guest, James Rosenthal. James is a poker player turned trader, commodity trader. Is that right? That is correct. Welcome to Tells Podcast, James Rosenthal. <laughs> Thank you. Wait, am I the first guest? Uh, no, we've had a, a lot of guests. I guess you're not a Tells podcast listener, are you? I feel like I've listened to a good 80% of them, and I don't know that I've heard any guests. Uh, we had Joe Ingram. We've had Ryan. Oh, Lutant. I did hear the Joey one. Okay. We've had Sarah and Heath Herring. Well, this sucks, you know? I thought I was going to be the inaugural, but it's okay. <laughs> well, you are still... The first person we've spoken to who has left poker. So that's a good thing. It, it turned out to be a good thing, yeah. Um, but before, before you dive into that, I just want to say you guys have done uh, an amazing job with what you've done, what you've created. And I think the most impressive thing outside of like Andrew's kingdom that he's, you know, that that whole niche that began and everything is that I can't believe you have him on here as often as you do. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I could just picture asking him weekly, Hey, so are we going to record? And I can picture him saying, eh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually the one who uh, is more enthusiastic about the recording often. Um, he's like, when are we recording? So very surprising. I think he likes the podcast because he doesn't have to do any of the work. He can just be here and then that's it. That's true. And he's an easy talker. And once you have you around, it seems to go well, pretty well back and forth. So it's good stuff. Sweet. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Andrew, he is in the Bahamas with, I hope it's not strep throat, but he's got like a cold and a very sore throat. So I'm very grateful for James to step in and be be my co-host today on Tell's podcast. I am glad to be here. Fresh voice, no strep. All right, so James, tell us a little bit about yourself. I met James in 2009 or 2010. I think 2010. Uh, I met I, James. I, I have no idea. It seems like <laughs> ages ago. <laughs> I think it was 2010 or 11 at the latest uh, through Andrew. And you guys met how? We met back in the Palms poker room playing late into the wee hours, drinking, uh, getting into some shenanigans and just, I don't know, we, we got along pretty well and played together a lot. And that's how a lot of poker friendships start, you know, at the table. So who spoke to who first? Do you remember? That's a good question. I'm going to guess myself because I get chatty sometimes especially if I'm uh, under the influence. And, uh, you know, Andrew is pretty receptive, And I think we just had a good back and forth. And, uh, you know, he also met some other people I knew. And there you have it, Poker Crew. Poker Crew. So how did you get into poker? Uh, and when did you get into poker? That's the standard story. College, online, TV, moneymaker, win some money, say, screw the real world. I'm moving to Vegas. So a uh, buddy of mine, Brad, who uh, both of you actually also know, we packed our things up, went out there, 
lived at the Palms place for a while and met Andrew and that's where we spent our next few years. And then, um, then I moved around, but yeah, that was pretty much how it all went down. Okay. And so when you were playing poker in college, did you skip a lot of class to do that? I assume, or. Of course, that was also in an easy ish, uh, program. I was going to school to try to become a golf course professional, there's a long story there, but essentially I got caught by the poker bug and decided, you know, let's try something weird. Parents were fine with it. So just took a shot, you know. What did your parents say? I mean, they were fine with it. I mean, I think you would have gone regardless um, from what I know about you. But what did your mom say? Yeah, I mean, I, okay, I shouldn't say like they were like, hey, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, but they weren't like against it. They're very much like, hey, it sounds like you're interested in something, go pursue it. If it doesn't work out, there's other paths. I talk with people a lot about this and that like, uh, I feel people get so focused on they need to find that one thing that's going to work out for their whole life. And like, you just live so long, hopefully, that like, even if you fail at something for five years, um, six years. I mean, technically I, I would say I kind of ended up failing at poker. I chat about that a little bit later, but like, it's okay. Cause you just start something new and try to get successful at that. So I think they understood that and, uh, just went for it. And so you came to Vegas, played a little bit of poker. You went out more and hung out or did you, do you feel like uh, you played a lot of poker when you were here. I definitely didn't play enough. Um, I, if I had to guess on the, off the top of my head, I would probably say I played 20 to 30 hours a week. And most of that would be longer sessions or super short sessions, no real consistency. And for a while that worked, you know, people weren't that good back then. It was easy to, uh, find yourself doing other fun things too. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity out there in Las Vegas, as you know. And what did you learn about your self in the time you were playing poker in Las Vegas? Cause I'm sure it was different to playing online, right? So you transitioned from playing poker online to coming to Las Vegas and playing more live. Was this after black Friday? Yeah, I spent a little bit of time trying to like continue playing online and I don't know. I actually learned that I love live poker. I think it's the greatest. Um, I'm just too much of like a person that needs to go out and interact with people. And I couldn't see myself moving somewhere and going to play online. Uh, Andrew, I think he's always kind of been like a live player and has dabbled online. So I, I get it. I associate with it. And if you're asking me like what I learned back in the day as a Las Vegas poker player, I don't know that I learned much until after I was done with it, ironically. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So you stayed in Las Vegas for how long? Six years? Or how long did you stay in Las Vegas playing poker? I think three, because then I ended up in Mexico for a year trying to play online. And then I moved to San Diego playing online and live out there. Okay. So is it like six years of professional poker playing after you graduated right yeah that's about right okay and then what happens in the james rosenthal life how do you decide to leave poker and pursue something else yeah that's a good question um it's a tough it's a tough spot 
I would say I learned a lot when I turned. I always look back to my 26 year old self because I'm 31 now, but at 26, I was like right in the middle point of just having moved to Chicago and been able to like look back and reflect on the whole poker thing. And I just think it's crazy how. Hold on, what what did you specifically ask? Because I'm I'm getting off on a little tangent. <laughs> I said so. How how did you transition from playing poker to become to you know becoming a trader? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I would say like things just leveled off for me. I plateaued so hard for such a long period of time that, uh, meaning like one or two years that I just started wanting to like think about doing something else. Six years of playing for anybody who's tried to play professionally or is thinking about playing professionally, it's, it's a long time. It does end up feeling like quite the grind and quite a job at some points. And I don't know, at a certain point at about 25, uh, 26 years old, I just, I needed a change. Uh, I didn't think I was improving and I, I was finally self-aware enough to realize I didn't want to improve at poker anymore. It just wasn't, I didn't have it in me and the game was really getting advanced at that point. So to even be a solid winning two, five, five, ten live player or like one, two, two, four, three, six online player, you really need to be working at your game because you can find yourself in a spot where you're really just breaking even or quote unquote running under EV or just, you know, in a spot that's not providing you like a good living, which is what you're hoping for. From sure. So if you were making more money playing poker, do you think you might've still made the same decision? Do you think that feeling might've still been there that you were over poker because what was required, like the amount of studying that you had to do to continue making that amount of money would, would be. I, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, sure. But like, it's so hypothetical to me because that wasn't like the real case. Like, I don't think I was going to be making any more money mm. unless I had done what you're saying needs to be done. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, sure. It'd be cool to say like I was making 150 K and I was just plateauing, but I wasn't even doing that. You know, I was just so I was just such a, a downgrade from what I envisioned myself being at that age that I needed to just either re-fully commit to poker or try to do something else. And I just was at the point where I just couldn't recommit to it. So you at this point where you can't recommit to poker, uh, what happens? How do you start looking for something new? How do you are you talking to friends about how you're feeling or how is this how does this come about? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a it's a tough time. I mean, if anybody's gone through long stretches of, of poker where, you know, they haven't found the success they wanted, like you, you talk to people a lot about it. But I know you guys have talked on your podcast quite a bit about like the poker network. And that, that's one thing I've always had is a lot of people in poker that I've known or friends of friends and things like that. So when I was at the point where I started looking for other things, I mean, I was looking anywhere. I didn't really know where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And I, I mean, I was looking at like sales positions, uh, which pff, good thing that didn't happen. I, I don't think I would do that that well there. I was looking at recruiting, uh, just, just random stuff. And then my poker network actually ended up being the thing that paid off for me in the long run, which is, it's a crazy story. I'll dive into it real quick. I had a buddy, Craig, who I knew through uh, Lego poker from back in the day. 
And he threw out a Facebook message one day. He had moved from poker into trading, posted on his wall that like anybody he knew in poker who was interested in trying something new that like took a lot of the skill set from poker and transitioned well into that, like hit him up, message him, chat with him. And that's what I did. And I mean, I don't even remember. It was just a random weekday that I saw that I messaged him. And I had only met Craig a few times through a poker friend um, exchange information. We chat for maybe an hour or two. Next couple days I interviewed. And then I think it was like two and a half or three weeks later, I moved to Chicago. Wow. That, that started the, yeah, I mean... It was crazy. I just kind of leapt for it because at this point, I didn't really have anything to hang on to and just said, you know, let's go try something new, see how it works out. If I fail, you know, can go back to low stakes grind. We can go back to golf. You know, there's a seal or a floor I could hit, you know what I'm saying? So why not try something new? Amazing. I I mean, I love the fact that it wasn't even... uh, your best friend. I think they talk about that a lot, like having loose ties. And usually those like loose ties are the people that sort of help you or like help you connect to different parts of the world or different jobs and stuff like that. Have you heard about this in like uh, networking things that they talk about in workplaces? No, but that completely makes sense to me because it's like what you don't know what you don't know type of thing. Like at the close network ties you have, you probably have already dabbled in what they might have to offer, but like you have no idea what somebody that you might barely know has uh, in their right. network. But I, I mean, it comes down to like your ability to, um, to like stab at those, right? Because if you don't have the stones to like make one phone call or type one message, like you're never going to know. Right. I could have seen that and been like, oh, and then gone and looked at it myself and looked at trading and like, I probably did a, would have just weaned out and, never really had anything ha- thing happen, but like reaching out to Craig and chatting with him for an hour and really kind of hearing about his transition. It just like got the snowball rolling and I, the loose ties thing, that's really interesting. And I, I completely agree with that for sure. Super. Okay. So now you are off to Chicago. You can I ask what they asked you in like your interview, right? Cause they were looking for, uh, what Craig had said, they were looking for people who were poker players because obviously there has to be some skills that they think are transferable. Um, did they ask you about that certain skill set off the bat or what was the interview like? Yeah, yeah it was a mixed bag. It, it was pretty interesting. So so Craig got hired uh, with a, a fairly large group of financial graduate students and Craig was the one who really stood out. So they were like, interesting, maybe we should look into hiring some more poker players because it seems that he has something that a lot of these other guys may not have. So they just hired a round of only poker players. So it was me and five other guys that I also indirectly loose ties knew from poker, which was kind of interesting. One guy I didn't know, Kevin, but everybody else I kind of had heard about or whatever. And they brought us in for a group interview. Let me tell you, like there, there was some funny things. I mean, Andrew probably tells you about stories or you've heard stories of people that 
aren't in poker at all when they talk about poker to you maybe it's like did you see that guy on on tv had 20 million dollars on the table when really it's chips or something like that you know and these guys at the trading office they would ask you all these kind of questions you don't really like to answer as a professional poker player like what was the biggest hand you ever won or the biggest pot you ever won like they kind of compare you to each other it was it was a it's kind of cringy, but they were also just trying to get a, a feel, an understanding of what are these people? Like, what are these poker guys? What do they have? And they, they would test us with these kind of group solving problems. And I actually got to the point, I got so flustered in this one group question they had that I couldn't divide 21 by seven. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> that's like the ultimate the ultimate field player couldn't even couldn't even do that you know right. so it was uh it was interesting it was pressure filled but uh actually all of us ended up getting hired and all of us are still here six years later wow that's incredible mind-boggling so i guess for the the firm as well it was kind of them trying something new so it's kind of serendipitous that it was you looking for this something new and willing, being willing to try something and the firm as well looking to try something by hiring, you know, a group of poker players, because I'm sure that wasn't the like standard hiring protocol in the past. No. Yeah. I mean, they hire five guys out of MIT or, you know, Duke or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what they did, but usually their standard MO would be hire five guys, hope that one guy sticks, you know? And so, they needed to figure out something else. They they tried this for a round of hires, and I think you know they were onto something. And you're right. I mean, if you want to talk about fate, I know you love this <laughs> deep talk, Busey. So if you want to talk about fate, which I don't know if I'm a fate guy, but if you look back at like the crazy things that bring you to the place you're at, I mean, it's this is one of those. So how how I ended up here is just it's pretty wild. But they uh, yeah they ended up hiring like. 12 poker guys over the time that I've been here. Um, don't worry. They're not, they're not bringing in more people. So if anybody messages you on tells, sorry, <laughs> sorry, no more jobs. Can't help you out. Oh, that's yeah. a, no more. That's job. unfortunate, but I am most curious as to, I'm sure the company probably knows now a little bit more what it is that they are looking for in a skill set for somebody who's not like traditionally, whatever, MIT or Harvard graduate, or you know what I mean? So what is it that you think they are looking for? And what is that skill that you either got from poker? Or do you think it's a completely new skill set that you've taken or learned as a trader versus a poker player? That's like a multi-part question. But I think like the uh, first part of the question is, what is that skill? Is there something that you can that you took from poker that you used to get you to be a good trader? Yeah, for sure. And you trade. I mean, you know that these two things, poker and trading, are so right. similar. I mean, they're they're in two different worlds, and it's so funny how people regard one as a bit more mischievous than the other, you know? Like, when I told my parents I was getting a job trading, they're like, oh, thank God, like, it's it's a real job. And I'm like, you have no idea what what's about to happen. Uh, so I, I would say, yeah, there were so many skills that transferred over from poker that, I mean, if you want to be a successful trader, the 
main couple ones I can think of are table selection. It, I mean, it's so important, right? Like poker, we all know that finding the best table is obviously your best chance to have the highest BB per hundred or whatever you want to call it, highest uh, EV. And when you're looking at 40 different commodity markets or futures, which is what I do and you do as well, finding the opportunity across one of those 40 spots or two of those 40 spots, uh, that's what we're, what you're looking for. So being able to recognize patterns, watch many tables at once, which the online background really helps with being able to find the whale, you know, find the spot in the trade where inefficiency exists and being able to act quickly with intention and aggressively. Um, With that also being said, the the obvious bankroll management is probably the the key foundation, you know, Um, being able to manage your loss, manage your downside, press your upside, things like Hmm. that. I think the, for me, table selection was definitely my biggest weakness as a trader. Um, I thought I just need to understand the market better instead of finding a new market. And so that's been really interesting um, over the past like two years or so. And just not being like, oh, I'll figure this particular market out and I'll make it work. Whereas you could just like stand up and go somewhere else, you know, like that wasn't something that I'd learned for myself in that, in that regard. So that's really interesting. I, t- I totally agree. And just to touch on that, like it can be good for certain people to go in depth in markets. You know, you can like, you can trade vertically, or you can trade horizontally and it comes to just like self-awareness, right? Like what, what is James good at? What is Boosie good at? Well, James, like I know that I'm not going to be the one to get super in depth into the S&P 500. I'm not going to be able to understand what's happening in the mid cap stocks, the large stocks, the the mini. Like I, I basically look across all the markets, see which market is acting the funniest, if you will, where all the liquidity is, where all the inefficiency is, and then I just go there, rely on my good bankroll management, my good decision making. And I attack there like, but some people, they want to know everything about oil. You know, they want to know everything about the OPEC meetings that are going on and understanding which ports have explosions and where all the supply is coming. And and they'll be really good at that. You know, the people who love research too, they're probably like the Pio solver people in poker or whatever you call those geniuses (laughs) these days. They'll be able to tell you anything about market and I'll be able to tell you top lay top layer type things but that's just what i'm good at you know and after all this time i've learned when you stay in your lane and you've seen results that you're good at the beautiful thing about trading is that you can scale you know it's really hard to scale in poker the same way but i like to say it's like imagine if you were playing two five at, at the Aria in Vegas and they gave you pocket, you got dealt pocket aces and they were like, James, would you like to take those pocket aces up to 100, 200 and play right. at that table? And I'd be like, uh, sure. yeah, like, <laughs> right. let's go do that. And and I feel like in, in trading, you, you could do that. You can play small stakes, small stakes, small stakes. And then you see a spot that's just gin and you can go all in. Yeah. You know? So if you were to come back to Las Vegas and play poker, 
and there was this magical way to scale, or even if you didn't have to come back to Las Vegas, what do you think you would do differently or how would you play poker today? Because you still come to Vegas and play poker sometimes. And what do you think you'd do differently when you play poker today versus James, I don't know, five, six years ago? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, well, the thing is, like the environment of trading is just built more for me. And it, it again, comes back to self-awareness. Like, I, first of all, I love poker. I love going back to Vegas and just playing. Uh, you'll find me at R.E.M. Bellagio playing 510 and just probably losing, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, I think like looking back, like there, there was things that were lacking old James to, to new James. One is structure. I've found that I work really well in structure. Um, you know, I, I sleep the same times every night. I try to be healthy. I try to work out. Oh God, working out. Jesus, that's been, that's been an absolute game changer. Something I never did in Vegas. And, and I'm working the same hours each day. I get into this rhythm and it's really hard in poker to find a rhythm. You know, you might just get caught in a game until 9 a.m., sleep till 6 p.m., you're eating one big meal at lemongrass and just like, it's just really hard to build this consistency unless you're winning and when you're winning, everything's great. It doesn't matter, right? But so so I would say structure would be something I, I think if you're going to, like if I was to move back to Vegas and play poker, I would have to implement that somehow. I would need to take care of myself first um, in my immediate surroundings and then hope that the results came after that. And then I would say the absolute mind blowingly best thing about trading compared to poker is the lack of ego. And that like, I, I mean, that was one of my downfalls in poker is that I always wanted to like be respected and, you know, I wanted people at the table to think I was a good player and I needed to always feel like I'm representing, you know, this whole had to battle with the rags and like this whole ego thing when in trading you're essentially anonymous you know what i mean i could lose one day and nobody would have a clue um i could win one day and nobody would have a clue you know it's i can make a mistake and no reg saw me make that mistake there's no attachment and if i could go back to poker in vegas i would say dude nobody really cares they're all gonna go home and watch game of thrones like nobody cares and you need to let all of that go in order to like whoa james rosenthal spitting truth i love that so much because i think that's why i love trading because i am anonymous like nobody knows that i'm a girl nobody knows that you know i'm still in my pajamas nobody knows that i've combed my hair or i haven't combed my hair to this morning i mean all of those things like you said you know when i started trading i would wake up and trade in my pajamas. That didn't work out so well. Um, Like now I wake up and I like get ready for work, right? I meditate before I, you know, make my tea, all these things, like you said, like having the structure. So that's really helped. But at the end of the day, like you said, nobody knows you. Nobody can judge me on anything. And then I don't even need to feel like I need to peacock for anybody either. So I really like that. I think it's fascinating yeah, one thing real quick before we move on, I want to touch on for Andrew because so many people listening, you know, wonder about him. But that was one of the things that made him, I think, is so much like levels above people and still does is that I don't think he has that that ego. 
that he has this like, I am who I am. I'm going to play to the best of my ability. The results will just be the results that they are. Yeah, for sure. Because he's never, he's one person who's always really happy with themselves in the moment, even though he wants to improve. And that I thought was really fascinating because for me, I would go, oh, if I'm not good now, then, oh, what a sad case. But he's like, oh, I like who I am in this moment and I know I can get better. Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a big deal. And again, that goes back to my 26-year-old James. Like, that's when I finally started to kind of get that. And I didn't understand that before. But yeah, if you guys ever get a chance to play live poker with Andrew, you'll understand exactly what I mean. It's like, you'll just be like, oh, yeah, he just plays to who Andrew is. And I could tell that with other regs, too. And, you know, you you see this person, the way they move their chips, the way they bet, the way they talk, just everything about them is authentic to who they are. And uh, those were the people that crushed. I could name a million others. Okay. Well, um, this conversation is very interesting to me. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about the life of James outside of work. Okay. So, um, you know, you moved to Chicago, you're doing well as a trader. Do you see yourself trading uh, for another 10 years, another five years, or do you want, or how do you view that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think everybody asks themselves that question about whatever job they're in all the time. You know, how long can I see myself doing this? I wish I had the perfect answer. Um, I would say the next five or six years, yes. Uh, I always like to say, it kind of sounds bad, but I hope that there's a pretty significant crash because that's where traders tend to do pretty well. And if that was to happen in the next five or six years, hopefully you could clean up and then say sayonara, (laughs) you know. Um, But things are just going well. I really enjoy what I do. Um, I would love to slowly move into incorporating some creative things as well. It's something I've talked to you, I've talked to Andrew about as well. But right now it's just been like grind, grind. And like, I mean, I still like to enjoy life. I live what I consider to be a very balanced life. Um, But it's just right now, it's just, yeah, trade next five or six years, probably pop out a couple of kids. Uh, (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Okay. So James is engaged to a bombshell of a Norwegian babe over there in Chicago. Dying piece, yeah. <laughs> um, can you tell us, because when I met you in, in Vegas, you were sort of dating, but not really, right? Because, I don't know, was it more wanting to focus on poker or what was the deal? Yeah, I think I maybe dated like one person out there. I don't even know. I didn't really meet that many people. I just kind of hung out with the boys and played poker and stuff. And I just wasn't that good with chicks. Wasn't really my thing. And if something fell into my lap, then I like pursued it. But that changed uh, in Chicago. I kind of used it as a way to like improve myself and start interacting with people and got into the online dating scene and, uh, man, things really changed from there. And yeah, here we are uh, engaged. Okay, let's back so up a little bit. Was, so uh, you say, if so what did you do differently when you got to Chicago before? I don't know, did you get to Chicago and then go on the online dating scene? Or what changed? Was it like a conscious decision that I want to be better at this or what? 
It was definitely a conscious decision. I will divulge a little bit of information in that I actually like seeked out researching how men and women interact and like what people look for relationships and love and from both sides and how can I adjust myself while still being myself to like be a better version of me to offer and how I can seek out somebody who is something that I would want. Um, and I studied, if you will, uh, grinded some hours online doing that. And then I just started to, yeah, date and put in the reps and meet people. And, you know, you meet some people, you have some great interactions. All of a sudden you become a, a better version of yourself when it comes to social, socialist, socializing, socialism, (laughs) become a better self, socialism. (laughs) Um, So then in Chicago, as you were dating, we've spoken about this, but I want you to share with the listeners of the podcast, because I think it's important what you said, I think one time at dinner about how you approached online dating. Can you share a little bit of that with us? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I saw online dating. Uh, I'm not sure what we spoke about, but I would say I think it's great. First of all, because you can really, you can really just narrow down the field to people that are very likely going to be somewhat suitable for you, and then you can meet them on fairly short notice, have a quick interaction with them. And then from there, it's either, to me, it became a, I want to pursue this, or I do not want to pursue this. And I would be honest with them. And I would say, hey, you're a a great person, um, but I just don't think we're compatible. And I wish you good luck out there. And uh, I mean, I don't really want to get into the numbers because it's too many probably. But I just, I thought like putting in the reps in online dating was super important. Um, not trying to just find the absolute perfect one to go out on a date with. Uh, even if I had some inkling that it wouldn't work out, but there were, it was something like that sparked my interest. I would just go on the date, have a drink, go for an hour because interacting with somebody for an hour, you really learn about not only them, but you, you learn about yourself, what you like, what you don't like, what you're looking for, what you're not looking for. So you're all about putting in the, the reps, like putting in the hours. Um, Don't think dirty about that, guys. <laughs> Just the reps of like one cocktail, you know, talking with people. Yeah, I mean, I I hope it's pretty clear uh, what you meant. It's like going on as many dates so that you can, it's almost like practice, right? So you you practice how you how you want to, like, sometimes you don't say the things that you want to say because you're not practicing saying it the exact way you want to say it, right? So being able to go on these dates, you can present your best features in the best way because you can articulate it because you practiced it, right? Yeah, I mean, if you just imagine it like you're going to a like a house party, it's like when you walk into a house party and you don't know many people, that there's so much pressure on that first interaction, you know, you might not have been talking to anybody all day. You're at home, you're changing, you're like getting ready to go out. You haven't said anything to anybody. And then you come into this place where you don't really know many people and there's this pressure. And then you talk to a few people and you realize, oh, I could just bounce from people to people and you're all warmed up and like it just you come out, right? Like you, 
like James finally comes out at that point. But like, if you're trying to find the, the perfect girl online and like not going through the practice and dating and talking to people and interacting and getting them in that flow state, if you will, that time you actually get that date with that, that girl that you really like, or that guy that you really like, you're, you're not going to be your normal self. You're going to build something like this huge wall of pressure that could mm. ruin that, you know? We're not all just like you and Andrew who can meet at a house party and they're like happily ever after. Some of us have to kind yeah, of work Yeah, but you it. don't know how much we dated before that. You know what I mean? Like I, I am, if I didn't teach myself to talk to people, I would be very shy. But it was that same thing that you talk about. It, it's a learned skill. I tell people all the time, they're like, how can you just talk to anybody that you sit next to you or somebody at the grocery store? completely learned skill. I used to be the kid that sat at the back and just like observed. And I was like, oh no, it looks so much fun out there. I want to be part of that out there. And so, you know, I think it gets harder as you get older, but it's not impossible. No, I mean, you're totally right. Uh, it's it's a learned skill, but I mean, with you, let's be honest, you probably came I out of I swear, I did not. I don't know. <laughs> if we could, bring, yeah. if I could bring my Sorry, mom God. on this podcast, even my dad, they would tell you that I was the quietest child. So to be such a chatterbox now is you're like saving it up. Pretty unbelievable to them. Like I, I don't know what I would consider myself. Maybe an extroverted introvert type of thing, like where I could love being by myself. But once I get out into a social situation, like fluent, I, I don't know, but any, one of the things that I would do all the time is if I would know I'm going to be meeting somebody or going out to a house party or going on a date, um, just like you were mentioning at like the grocery store and things like that, leading up to that, that date, I would start talking to people. For instance, in San Diego, when I spent some time there, if we were going to go out to the club, because that's what all us cool poker players used to do, go to, go, going out to Flux tonight, I would like, you know, if I'm going to Vons to go shopping earlier that day, I'm going to talk to the person that's stocking the shelf, just be like, hey, where is this item located? Oh, cool. Thanks. And then I get to the like the cashier and I'm like, oh, cool. How's your day? Oh, sweet. Like, you know, in a little interaction, all of a sudden you get that like that linguistic back and forth going and by the time you know and then you talk to the the people that are running the line at the nightclub or wherever you're going to dinner you're back and forth with the host and the, and all of a sudden by the time you get into the nightclub where there's just so much pressure to like talk to girls and whatever you're already like warmed yeah. up in a sense so if that's something you you deal with i highly suggest those low caliber interactions it's like a low you know? pressure situation um, right like if the guy at the grocery store, the girl at the checkout counter is doesn't talk to you back. It's like, okay, what do you lose? Moving on. Yeah, it's whatever. Just imagine how rusty you are if you don't talk all day. Heck, maybe all week before you go out on a Friday night or something. Like, do you expect to just be like the most charismatic version of yourself? Not going to happen. <laughs> Andrew might be able to do it. <laughs> Andrew might be able to just not talk for 24 hours then boom <laughs> tells podcast no i think he talks to people at the you know at the poker table too but yeah that's a good good thing to remember if you want to decrease the pressure of this like one interaction talk to a lot of people i think that's like pretty much the theme of your life right is like uh because they notice how you work out as well it's 
every day instead of like three times a week where you work out until you're dead type of situation. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, for sure. I like to stay in a constant state of momentum. Actually, that's a great word to use it. Like I, I love the word momentum and that's how I've found success in whatever I do is if I can keep that steamroller, that snowball going, I'll have like wild success, whether it's in trading or working out or eating well or talking with Nina or dating or going out front. Like if you continually do something and the, the process, enjoying the process and, and loving every minute of that, it's just like, that's where it is. That's, that's where the Yeah, that's is. why your Duolingo streak is pretty shady at the moment, isn't it? It's like, you need to get consistent, God, James. You know, <laughs> I know. I had 32 days in a row and I missed a day and they offered me, you can, you could actually repair your streak for like $3 and I almost did it. I almost was, but then I was like, what integrity right. would you have at that point? You know, and that would be negative momentum. That would put me in a world of hurt. I would just be thinking about that $3 <laughs> and how I cheated myself. Yeah, so. That's very, that's very true. And I wanted to ask you that now. It's, I'm, I just thought about that. So James and I are learning Spanish via Duolingo. If you had paid that $3, right, you've cheated yourself. Do you think that there is more lying to oneself in or is it easier to lie to oneself as a poker player or a trader oof <sighs> i don't know that's a great question because it's the same effect right like if when you lie about... to yourself as a poker player it's not going to fare well like i think some part of your brain sort of shuts off when you do that and then when it's time to make the right decision you can't because you've almost tricked yourself into this you know falsehood yeah i mean it's a delicate balance to be honest because like uh, when it comes to poker let's say it's important to come into each session you play uh, trading too like it's a, it's really important to come into each session with confidence and the ability to get rid of the past but also it's really important to be honest with yourself because like in poker i i was pretty good with words like i could tell you a hand history and make it seem like even though i know i made some like mistakes in there, I could bend the hand history to make you like side with me and show me empathy or something like that, you know? And I think people are really good at that, which I was, but again, yeah. that's attached to my ego. And like in trading, it's only myself. Like I, I can't explain a trade away to anybody. Like I'm not, you know, you're anonymous. So like you have to live with your decisions. And I, I'm much better at that. I'm like, I clearly made some mistakes there. I need to learn from that. And then I go work out, I eat my healthy meal, I hang out with my dog, I hang out with Nina, I sleep all night, I get up, I come back in, I let it go, and I reattack the mm. same way I did before. All right. I, yeah, I am uh, very grateful, James Rosenthal, for you chatting with me today about these things. Because I feel like there's a lot that, like you said, uh, uh, poker and trading overlap, um, but being able to leave and be successful, I think is also sort of testament to people who might not be having the best time in poker or any other endeavor to know that just because it's not good here doesn't mean it won't be good there. Absolutely. Um, I think our boy Gary V, which I know you listen to a little bit of him, he mentioned one thing on one of his million things that he puts out there. It was basically it resonated pretty well. He said, you know, 
people's careers average, you know, 40, 50 years. And what do you like, how often do people have a 40 or 50 year career? That's like the same thing, you know, maybe sure a doctor that's been in a family practice or like a lawyer that like just runs out his career and has a, pre but like so often people will spend a decade, decade doing one thing and they'll kind of like shift into something else. And then they'll spend a decade doing that. And like, you have so much time, you have so many options. So to be stuck in something that you're not doing well at and you don't want to get better at or you hate and you have a bad situation with like authority or bosses or whatever just get out of there start a podcast <laughs> start a podcast do you know that they say that the podcasts are the tramp stamp of the millennial <laughs> the tramp stamp of the millennial i don't know i'm a huge podcast fan and that sounds derogatory so I'm going to go ahead and axe that <laughs> All one. right. I know you have to run. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners of the Tells podcast? Do you feel like you filled your co-host's shoes, like Andrew Nimi's shoes in this podcast today? I don't know. Maybe I did. It's hard to live up to that guy. Uh, he's just so wonderful. And the back and forth you guys have with the little the little bicker kind of like, it, it's just, it's it's priceless stuff. Um you know, I'm, I'm here more as like a, I'm a, just a filler, you know, I'm just a no, filler and that's okay. What that's a great what guest. Do you want people to find you on social media? I guess is the first question. Well, that depends what they enjoy on social media because I post myself dancing with coffee every morning. And if you're not into seeing the same thing every single day with a new song in the background, I don't suggest right. following me. If you, do, if you do, you can, where can they find you, James? James? <laughs> I am on Instagram pretty much exclusively. I said sign or to Snapchat. I actually got rid of my Facebook account. So James Bond with a Y, J-A-Y-M-E-S, B-O-N-D. I'll be there. Sweet. Well, Most thank days. you so much for joining us on Tell's podcast. I, I learned a lot. I hope people learned a lot. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Tell's podcast. Any last words to the people, the listeners of the podcast? No, thanks for hanging in there, guys. If you made it this far, um, that was fun. That's it. And we will see you next week. Bye. Um, ciao. Ciao. Wait. Adios. Adios. Adios.